This is the Blood Red podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the inside track on all the big talking points from Anfield. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the latest Liverpool.com podcast. I am Christian Walsh, and with me this week are Liverpool.com writers Ollie Connolly and Dan Morgan. How are we, gentlemen? Doing good. Fine, thank you, mate. Good, good, good. How, how was your weekends? <laughs> uh, busy, shall we say? Yeah, a lot, a lot of work on, um, a lot of post community shield work. Um, but yeah, just in general, um, it seems as though there's not a lot to write about with Liverpool on the face of things. But when you dig into it, you know there is a lot of there's a lot of people slightly worried, shall we say, about what's happening with Liverpool in the transfer market, for example. So there's a lot to get into, uh, and a lot to try and sort of pick up on in terms of mood. Um, Sunday wasn't the greatest in terms of mood, put it that way, when you were trying to write. Uh, I'm, I'm just going to throw it out here. Are, are you ready for football to come back yet? Because I, I don't think I am. It hasn't been away for me. I don't know yeah. about you, Ali. But, no, I haven't had my end-of-season break yet, so I'm going to take that about three weeks into, <laughs> into the new season, I reckon. So, yeah, it's just been non-stop, and then we get into transfer territory with a club who actively <laughs> said we don't do transfers. So it's been... a uh, to me, it hasn't slipped away. I I think we are fortunate in the years come around that fast with a club who actively says they don't do transfers. And I I enjoyed having it back. I was a little bit reticent being like, I, you know, it's come around so fast. But once it was here, I was like, okay, let's do this. Mm. I, for the life of me, cannot understand the international. You have a curtain raiser and then you'll vanish for a bit. International break and then we'll come back and play the season. The internationals are such a bad idea. I mean, we can say that about it in general. Um, because ultimately, it, it's 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 not a lot of fun unless it's a an international tournament and you're having a barbecue with it. But I, I, I don't even know who England are playing. Uh, I don't want to do the whole Scouse not English kind of thing. But I, I think the the last England game that was non World Cup or, or European Championships that I paid attention to was probably the one the last one when he plays at, at Anfield in about 2006. <laughs> um, I just I, I just don't. Uh, yeah, I just I don't even know the playing. Do you know the playing? No, I have no idea. No, not a clue. Probably Czech not, Republic. Not a no. Jen, no just it's... tell me everyone's come back fit. That's all. Literally yeah, all. definitely. And and as you said, sort of the the, the Sunday the Community Shields, a little bit disappointing. But I felt there with the Community Shield. It was it, it's a strange game at the best of times nowadays. Um, I thought last season's against Man City was really interesting because it felt like it was the first battle between these two behemoths who were going to be going at it throughout the campaign. But I just felt uh, at an empty Wembley, yeah, um, at a Wembley where Arsenal had won the FA Cup about four weeks before, and with with so much going on, I still you know the Champions League only finished a week earlier. It just it just didn't feel like a, a real game. Almost it, it it almost felt like it was kind of a you know like when you know like when a stadium's opening and you need to do like a test event. It felt <laughs> almost it felt almost like that. You know, the, it, the last half hour was certainly a training exercise, and I thought it was we've missed fans throughout the whole thing. That it's just a completely different vibe to the sport. It's actually uneasy how fast broadcasters seem content to move on without um, without sports and just hit the switch and. Just keep going. That was, it was massive the weekend. Now have a supporters there. There's just zero intensity to the, the entire event. I mean, for me, I've, I've got to be honest. I was I was really disappointed not to win it. 
Um, and, and that's not holding the, the, the shield in any type of prestige, but, you know, there's still a pill side who, when we think about their sort of lifespan, I want them to win as much as possible. And if they're getting presented with these opportunities, then even if it is a shield, it's another it's another another winner's medal. But but more importantly for me, it just highlighted probably what is my biggest concern going into the season, which is Liverpool being wasteful in front of goal. And Liverpool not sort of putting teams to the sword when they really should. And I think we got away with that at times last season, if I'm being totally honest. Um I think there was too much of a of, of, a, of a, a mindset of, you know, in terms of chances, let's just get our sighted in and, and we'll put the next one away. If we're talking about a glut of games, a glut of fixtures, energies being expended, expanded, sorry, then I think Liverpool have got to start boxing clever in terms of getting games run earlier and conserving energies better. And I think this this idea of keeping teams in games purely by being wasteful through not only missing chances, but creating chances. The amount of times Robertson gets in and nothing's created off the back of it. It just, it all felt a bit too samey for me. Like I put on our WhatsApp group when we equalised, I put on our WhatsApp group, didn't I? Arsenal win on penalties. And I wasn't crying it in, but you literally could write it. And, and it's for me, that's that's through Liverpool not being ruthless enough. And I think I think it's something that, it's, it's a hard thing to address because it's not something that you can rectify by signings even. But it's something that Liverpool sort of need to try and consciously change if they can this season. There's obviously going to be a caveat here um, because the, the post-lockdown, I, I don't know how much you can look at this statistically. I really don't. Uh, a, because there are no fans. I mean, Christ, you've got to get used to that because it looks like it's going to be like that, certainly for, for the next couple of months. Uh, I think it's October 3rd, which is, which is the very earliest where any sort of fans could could be coming through the, the stadium doors. And even then, you see that the, the scenes are, are brighten against uh, Chelsea at the weekend. And it's it's still it's just not football, is it? It's just not what we used to. But that aside, I, I feel like you can't really look at the post-lockdown um, statistics too much. But I just had a little look there. So from February 8th, so I think low-key, Liverpool 4, Southampton nil was sort of one of the crowded moments for Liverpool. Um, and then they go away on a, I assume, February. They don't play on the week of the February the 8th or 9th, but I'm not sure why. I assume that's maybe the FA Cup. It's the winter break, isn't it? The winter break, of course, it is. Great shout. So when they come back from that winter break, now again, we don't know. Maybe Klopp's conserving energy because he, because if the title's pretty much won. But from the 8th onwards, Liverpool, in terms of expected goals, and we know that isn't necessarily an exact science. But they're actually, they only scored 20 and 13, um, and they're only fourth. And you say they're not clinical enough. I mean, they, they score about four more than they should, Dan, but I mean, that is massively down from the overall season, if that makes sense. Um, pr- before that winter break, they, they were really, they were doing far better in front of goal. They were taking the chances far more. Um, so I just thought I'd raise that because, yeah, you know, sort of, they were only the fourth best attack. You've obviously got to put in the fact that it was post-lockdown, you know, for parts of that. Um, but while they're still overachieving in front of goal there, it's certainly not what it was beforehand. So it's, it's definitely, you know, a point worth raising. And again, unexpected points and, again, caveat, we can't really 
focus on that too much. But Liverpool, in that 13-game period from the winter break on, are actually only fifth behind Man City, Chelsea, Man United and Wolves. And they're not too far ahead of Southampton and Leicester. So, where, where do you, before we move on to, to, to the main you know, part of, of, of the episode, where do you fall on this line? Are you concerned at all? Is it something that your ice offers an anomaly? Um, where, where do you both sort of sit with that at the moment? It's interesting to me because you can frame it one or two ways. Dan's right. And if you look at just the two challenges last year, City was so much better at just putting people away. They turned two into five, six, seven, and it, it seems effortless. Whereas it was just completely different for Liverpool. And you can frame that as even not being clinical enough. Or they have that thing that champions have to get over the line in games where you know, they don't play as well, whereas City, their press was a mess and they, they well, was in nine games in the end, they ended up losing, I think it was 11 in all competitions. So you can kind of frame it either way. I think the clinical thing is is true. The, the thing that I'm not worried about is I think a lot of the advanced metrics, and you're right there with XGXG, is for some reason, Liverpool have obliterated the XG model almost individually. It does not compute to them for whatever mm. reason. And the data scientists are all trying their best to figure it out right now. Is it changing the model? Are they so unique that something within the model is flawed but even if we say okay xg is a decent jumping off point as long as people like Firmino returns to the mean as long as Navi Keita can play 25 games and that's a new goal threat from midfield that they don't always have maybe Curtis Jones gets more game time and he's a goal threat whereas Fabinho often hasn't been Jordan Henderson isn't necessarily I think that the signs there that, that you know they can patch it together and find maybe either new goal threats or just, I mean, Firmino to me is a big one. If Firmino scores at the level he should score at, then I think it's a completely different conversation. Dan, you are right with the, um, just the idea of the putting them on the throat though, that they really made a concerted effort last year to evolve to a resting on the ball team, one nil up, two nil up, let's conserve our legs. It's a long season. And I do wonder if there's a, f- a switch flipping thing you can do both in the season and within matches as well. I don't know how they feel that's doable or, or how to do that. For, for me, it- I completely agree. And for me, it's not so much XG as opposed to XGB, expected goals build up. I think sort of a lot of the time with us, it's the pass before the pass. And I think there's a lot of times when there's a saying with this Liverpool team that they sort of play in the mould in which they train. And that usually gets referenced towards intensity. Um, and it's usually seen as a positive. But I think, you know, if you were to watch a drill, a warm-up drill for Liverpool, it's it's almost a bit like that in-game. It's almost a bit like, it's almost, it's a, it's a bit too relaxed at times. And I think sort of that meticulous, that sort of clinical nature of just finding the right pass before before you get in on goal is, is something that, I think that they can they can do better, and and Ollie mentions Firmino there. I'd sort of laid I'd sort of laid this at the door of Mo Salah. I think Mo Salah takes two chances, sort of at times. There's two chances before Mo Salah takes a chance, and it's sort of yeah, the the, the expectancy is that the chance will always come next. And whilst that might be the case, you know we've seen what happened on Saturday, but you know going back as as far back as sort of games against. Bournemouth at home last season where if things just one thing goes the other way against you, you're a goal down and that task's sort of twice as hard and I just think for me efficiency and ruthlessness is going to be key to to like Ollie says get into a place where you can sort of say well yeah 
I mean, we can't conserve energy because we are sort of three up. And the crowd thing's a big thing in this as well. You know, teams teams will lose intensity, Liverpool included, by the fact that there's no crowds. And I think people are forgetting it all too easy. So, you know, going to Liverpool and being three down will literally just be a case of, of teams saying, let's just get out of here with what we've got and let's all just shake hands on it. No, there'll be no there'll be no attempt at an Istanbul from from someone coming the other way. So yeah, for me we can look at stats and data and stuff, but I'm just sort of making a point on what I can see with the eye. And I'm and I might be wrong and I'm happy to be wrong, but yeah, it's it's something that, that slightly concerned me on Saturday. So we're gonna talk a little bit about the new season and we want to park the community shield because I think what what we're looking to do on Liverpool.com over the next couple of weeks is is look ahead to the new season, um, not to dwell on on a, on a pretty weird game uh, at, at Wembley. I think that the, the idea and the, and the vibe of the site is going to be to look forward, not just around Liverpool as well. I think there's a lot of questions about what is going to going to happen with this season. You've obviously it's a season like no other. You have a lot of question marks about when fans are going to return. You've got question marks around how it's going to sort of all fit in because it's obviously such a condensed schedule. You've got questions about the fitness of players. You've got questions about the fact that the um, the transfer window is 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 is, is rolling on for a, around a month after the season begins. And obviously, you've got a, a big question around the fact that Liverpool were, were one of the most dominant teams in in Premier League history. Um, but there is a clear sort of switch where they go from one of the most dominant, dominant to, to sort of fold them back into the pack, and ultimately, which one will be the will be the true Liverpool this season? Just you know, completely uh, off script here. But when I was looking at the the, the pre Liverpool, um, the pre winter break Liverpool, you know, the the, the one twenty two, sorry, the one twenty five and drew one, and lost zero. Um, you were 22 points clear. So, ultimately, nobody, I don't think, should forget that. Yes, Liverpool haven't necessarily been the same team since February. But at the same time, how do we know that Jürgen Klopp hasn't sort of taken that winter break, even without the lockdown, taken that winter break and sort of said, well, the league is won. We, we all know that the league is won, despite, you know, people waking up in a cold sweat, wondering if, if, if they would throw it away. The league's won. Um, you know, we need to sort of adapt ourselves. Maybe take a couple of uh, a couple of blows on the chin, if that means that we've got fresher legs come the start of the season. So be it. Obviously, lockdowns changed that a little bit, but it's going to be interesting. There's a lot of questions. Um, we don't necessarily have the answers. But for what we could do on this episode is talk about some of those questions, not just around Liverpool, but also around the Premier League in general, um, and, and basically try and identify what the key storylines are that both we think will happen. And the key storylines that we're looking forward to, we might even throw a couple of uh, a couple of silly ones in there as well. So, uh, Dan, I don't know if you want to sort of kick us off. Is, is there anything in particular that you think will be rumbling on through the season? A storyline, a trend? Is there anything that you're sort of looking forward to or you're expecting when the season resumes? Yeah, I think I think I'm sort of interested in who's going to be the first and foremost, who's going to be sort of the Leicester of last season. Who's going to be the title challenger up until around Christmas? Um, I think Arsenal could be in with a shout. To be to be perfectly honest, if they if they iron out a few a few things that that Michael Arteta will obviously want to look at, um, 
but I do think there is a team who will, no, not so short of damn anyone, who will put up a fight up until December and then come short of April, May, everyone's going, oh, I remember we were all talking about them as title challenges. That's quite funny. So I'm interested in, in, in who that will be. Um, like I say, I think it could be Arsenal. It could be Chelsea, but Chelsea have bought really well and therefore could maintain a, a challenge to the end of the season. I think we all accept that. Um, the other thing really is is kind of, I'm interested to see sort of the managerial merry-go-round and how that takes shape. I think there's there's still sort of major questions, I'd say, about four of the six top six managers. And I put Guardiola in that too. Um, and whether that changes mid-season, I'm not sure. But I think if you look at the way Chelsea are buying, if you look at the way United are looking to buy, then a lot of it pretty soon is going to fall down on both Solskjaer and Lampard as being solely responsible for whether it works or not. And I think that's really tricky um, with the fact that they've got sort of real allegiances to both clubs and it'll be sort of a labour of love if they do have to, to let them go. And then, you know, in the background, which I think everyone's completely forgotten, is is this figure of Mauricio Pochettino who's just disappeared off the face of the earth. And... And it wouldn't surprise me, to be honest, if he is back in in one of those jobs before before the season is out. So yeah, that that's kind of I'm just I'm just fascinated to know sort of how it, it changes and fluxes throughout the season. And I put Guardiola in there for a reason um, because I don't think it's guaranteed that he stays. I think he's gonna I think he's gonna gauge a lot on how this season goes, how his team reacts to him, how his re- relationship with with Lilo. Um, develops how sort of difficult the task of, of overcoming Liverpool and, and sort of what that does to him in terms of his, his health, both mental and physical, it seems, um, impacts him basically. So, so yeah, I think sort of Jürgen Klopp and I would say Michael Arteta apart, I think there's huge questions about top six managers. Ollie, do you think the Leicester could be this season? I've got thoughts on this, but I'm interested to hear it from you. Uh, Wolves would be the one I'd look at and say if it was going to be a, a from the pack and it was 18 games in, we were like, wow, they're third. I didn't see that coming. I think Wolves would be an interesting one. I, I do think Chelsea, have, have, it's going to be hard to see if Lampard has kind of the chops to bed in that many players that fast as he have the chops to sustain a, a title race. But I do think they're quite comfortably the third best squad um, if they add Havertz and stuff, which looks like it's it's all about done. And then just see if United's post-lockdown form will sustain it. I don't know how you quite fit the the Van Der Beek, Hogba, Fernandez pieces together. I think it's exciting if you can figure out a way of, of blending those three into one. Is it a three? Is it a two with a one ahead? That, that's, um, that'd be interesting. I think they have as much frontline talent as anyone, but the truncate them out by December, uh, February, and so it becomes more of a squad game. Um, I don't see Wolves aside a a from the pack team having a kind of middle of the season just because of the schedule. This is going to be so demanding, and not having the five subs is going to make it. You're, you're basically you're 19 deep, and that's who's playing. I think you know that that's your squad, um, and I just don't see a team with the kind of the strength and depth to to match up to the serious three. 
See, I, I have a bit of a, and this can sort of form part of the storylines I'm looking. I, I think we've got an opportunity. I definitely take on board about the the sheer volume of games and and, and the you know the how how quickly they come, but and it will become a squad game. But I, I wouldn't be surprised if if there's a real surprise package this season. I, I think it could go one or two ways, and and that's you know very fence sitting from from me, but. It's either the best teams are absolutely the best, and that will be Liverpool and Man City, and to a certain degree, Chelsea and Man United, I would say, and they're miles ahead of the rest. Um, and, and, and the league follows and, and conforms to, to what we would expect. I think there's another extreme where, because this season is so different, because this season is so like no other that anybody's ever sort of faced before as a manager, as a player. I think there's a there's a real possibility here that the likes of Liverpool and City are slightly dragged into it. Um, Man United and Chelsea maybe sort of are around about where they are, and then you have the opportunity of an Arsenal or a Tottenham, or you know you could go even further with teams like Leicester, like Wolves, like a Southampton, maybe even an Everton. I mean, I'm I'm not sure what Everton's doing at the moment in terms of their recruitment, but. And, and and there's questions over Ancelotti, but those type of teams, that next tier of team, if you will, where they could post a 72, 75 point season and, and be banging in a title race. I think that's a possibility as much as having what we've had the past couple of seasons where there's been a 99, 100, 98 point season from, from someone um, or, or more than one team. I think there's a there's a real opportunity where rather than there being a Leicester, there, there, there could be a handful of Leicesters where there's, you know, you're getting into February or March and, and you realise that it's actually quite tight at the top. Um, and, you know, 75, 76 might be enough just because Guardiola, Klopp, these managers who are so intent on actually planning and getting everything spot on, it's been thrown into chaos a little bit. Um, we still don't know what happens if there's a if there is another wave, for example. You know that's the big unknown, and we don't know what will happen with Europe and, and and all of this sort of thing. What happens if if you know touch wood doesn't happen? What happens if a squad sort of goes down with with COVID? There's so many variables at the moment, in, and, and and Liverpool and Man City, beyond doubt, are the two clubs with the two managers who plan more meticulously. You throw that into chaos and anything can happen. And I just think there might be a real opportunity there for, for a, a, a final table, which is probably more akin to the 2015-16 season, where you've got Leicester top, you've got West Ham and Southampton in the top six. You've got, I'm not saying Liverpool, but you know, you've got, I think Liverpool finished eighth that season. I think Man United might have been seventh, something like that. There's a real possibility of a 15-16 start season. If it did conform, by the way, I would probably, I think Southampton have got a real opportunity. I think Hassan Hulot's brilliant. Mm-hmm. I think their team is excellent. Um, it's a real sort of, it, 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 it's a sort of team that you would look at the continents and you'd say, you know what, that is a, that, that, that's sort of a top four team in, in Italy, for example. It's got, there's a real, all they basically need, they need inks to sustain his form. He overperformed slightly last season and he needs to have the same defensive um, output that they did last season after the the nine nil defeat to Leicester. So, yeah, I, I, you know the, the, that's sort of what I'm looking at is is if this could end up being a bit of a fifteen sixteen season where you throw the teams up in the air and see where they land. 
I still um, think there's a massive gulf between the top two and the rest. I think that that is very much true for third down. I think the top two, you have to look at organizational competence and City, Liverpool have the budgets. I know everyone talks about transfers, but if, for instance, they need a slightly larger support team to do the data analysis to prepare themselves, they'll both figure out a way to get the two extra members of people they need to try and figure out the kind of level of planning and detail that they need. And they, they're just so useless, the players too. You know, that they're, they're not training wholeheartedly throughout the season. It's all about rest and recuperation. It's about sports science. These guys are so used to it that although it is obviously a truncated season, it's going to be thicker and fast in a way that most seasons are not. You know, usually it's in a very confined period. This is going to be the majority of the season. They are kind of used to the vibe of it, whereas other squads, Southampton, they're not used to playing that kind of schedule for, for any period of time and once you get to month two month three and the legs just are creaking a little bit i think that's when it really kicks in and you just have a, a few organizations where the philosophy is so defined there is no talk of well if slowshaw goes off the rails for eight games suddenly you get the pictures of pochettino you know you get the pictures of uh allegri whoever you start getting those rumblings it's not happening at those top two clubs they have a clear focus in mind they've done this before um, and though it's different, they have the the network and the staffs where I think they, they're so good, so advanced, that they'll just figure it out. So I think those two are so far and away ahead of everyone else. And then it becomes after that, let's see who who kind of plays the game the best, like you're saying, who can fit the jigsaw pieces the best, who knows who peaks at the right time. And I think Southampton, Wolves, Spurs with Mourinho and a clear runway because they haven't got European stuff. I think it's a great show. Ollie, in terms of Liverpool, is there anything that you're sort of you're looking for? The, to me, it's the next evolution. I thought the Arsenal game was fascinating. I had a, a nerdy tactical piece up this morning at Liverpool.com. Um, and what Arteta did was interesting and frightening in equal measure. It was a lot of the the Lilo stuff that um, you know he introduced to Guardiola back in the day, this kind of this pseudo-press, this pressuring of, of lanes and cutting passing lanes and stuff and, and funneling the ball in a specific way where you are forcing Liverpool into a back three. And then who is that person? Now, they man-marked Fabinho. Liverpool decided to slide James Milner back into a back three. And I think that is going to become kind of the common practice of having to like stem the flow to Alexander-Arnold and, and to Roberts on the left. And so how are Liverpool going to adapt to that? And if, if teams are going to man-mark that six role, you even need someone like he who must not be named, who can beat someone from deep and is a progressive carrier of the ball, which Fabinho and Henderson, that's just not their game. They're metronomes. They set the tempo. Or is there a tactical switch they can do? Because what happened at the weekend is everything receded a little bit. Firmino had to drop into midfield. All of a sudden, Salah and Mane are isolated and we spent half an hour going nowhere, you know, hitting the head against the wall. He didn't even know Salah was on the field. So I think there's, I think we have to be mindful of those tactical trends. If we're going to stay the same, there's now a massive portfolio of games. Really smart people get everyone and try to figure out really intricate things. We saw last year, someone tried to man-mark Alexander-Arnold for three weeks. It went up in smokes. They obliterated it. And so that was thrown away. Here comes the next thing now, which is a Guardiola revolution. Arteta's shown twice now that he thinks this is the, the way you can kind of frustrate the build-up play, less so in, in last year's post-lockdown game as opposed to this one. And I, I was like, oh, that's that's a, a little nuance there that's really intriguing that every other coach is going to go, you know what, that, there might be something there, let's give that a shot. And if that sustains it, I think it will, you're going to have to see some kind of evolution where you have to either get better at playing through the middle um, or come up with some tactical switch that frees up Robbo and, and Alexander-Arnold in some other way. Um, and I'm not, I have, based on the current squad, I, I don't, you know, that's why 
that the coaches they're really good at this i think that is something to be really mindful of the teams are now trying to figure out more creative ways to stem what was last year's build-up play which is different than it was even the year before so are they gonna are they gonna we're gonna see more kind of the same personnel but more back three looks basically the blood red podcast from the liverpool echo it's just something as simple as he who must not be named um <laughs> It is it something as simple as picking him up? If if if, if that is indeed the, the the intention, we still don't know. For me, it's gone very quiet, um, yeah. and that's never a good sign. But picking up a player like that, because ultimately, if you look at Liverpool's squad and their needs at the moment, you will put a fourth choice centre back potentially above a need for a for a midfielder. Um, now, obviously, that changes if you say Fabinho's that fourth centre back. But let's say that you would certainly probably put a backup or however you want to frame it to the front three in case something, you know, obviously it looks like Minamino is going to be that sort of the number four in that three-man um, front three, but you don't know yet. And then you would say a midfielder probably. Is it something as simple as this midfielder being able to spread the ball out to Alexander-Arnold, being able to spread the ball out to Robertson? And what that will mean is that teams obviously start to mark Robertson and Alexander-Arnold, which leaves a massive gap in the middle, which will allow you know this midfielder to basically a different type of midfielder to Henderson and Fabinho, as all these sorts of leaders do the middle um, and, and sort of attacking that sense rather than you know you can go out wide and you can you can get Alexander-Arnold and, and Robertson if you want. We know what they can do out wide, but at the same time you have somebody who is equally as adept. As playing through the middle, through through traffic, and not necessarily always resorting to, to the long ball that Liverpool have been using recently. See my my Thiago theory. You said the is, name. I said it. I'm, I'm putting it out there. Uh, clip this for the social. Um, it's, it's like the Scottish play, isn't it? <laughs> so my my Thiago theory is that basically a lot of the admiration comes from what he would do in the dressing room and what he would do on the pitch in terms of setting standards. And we can sort of downplay the impact of that. But I think it's clear, clearly now missed when Henderson's not on the side. I think there's a concerted effort to get Milner in the team when Henderson's not there. And I think so sort of that level of driving up standards of excellence is what gets you to league titles as much as any type of ability or tactical innovation. And I think they've looked at him and thought, above all else, he's a phenomenal footballer, which he is. He's he's an elite centre midfielder. And I think he's a midfielder set out. I think he's made for this season in terms of things I was talking, talking about before, in terms of sort of knowing when to take 10 minutes out of a game knowing when to slow tempo. I think he'd be able to to set tempo for Liverpool on the pitch better than, than most players in Europe. But I do think there's an element of get him in because he will sort of drive the levels up and give everyone a reminder of what's needed. And, and therefore, I don't think he sort of answers that question particularly. My, my, my answer to that question would be would be that I'd love to know what they think of deep down what they think of Jones and Elliot in terms of what their potential game time is this season. 
if they think Jones and Elliott can play 30 games this season and start maybe 20 across all comps, then I wouldn't be surprised if they're sort of happy with with where they are with things. And and I think then, as Ollie referenced before, the manner in which Liverpool build up an attack, I think you, you start to see that fluctuate and change. And I thought it was interesting. We've seen a bit of it on Saturday, not just in terms of switching from a 4-3-3 to a 4-2-3-1, but I think you've seen the manner in which Liverpool attacked Arsenal change. I thought there was a lot of... Obviously, there was a lot of work in the ball to Robertson for an hour. And I think a lot of that was keeping it away from Nico and not asking him to go forward the other side. Um, but I think when, when, the, when the changes came and the, the shape change came, I think there was a lot more of Liverpool sort of playing through the middle of Arsenal and purposefully playing for second balls and loose balls. You see it when the, how the goal comes about. It's sort of, we've seen that goal a million times of Liverpool sort of gambling and saying, well, I'll just play a one-two off your defender and, and we'll, we'll play for the loose ball, the breaking play. And I think there was that sort of element of, yeah, we'll just be a lot more direct and we'll just bulldoze you and run through you. And if, and if you get a foot in, if you get a body in, we'll wait for the loose ball. With the likes of Minamino and Naby Keita sniffing around as well, it does offer a different type of of threat. And, and I think the thing Liverpool have got really good at over the past 12 to 18 months is sort of not giving teams a, a sort of a game plan that they can really believe in when it comes to coming up against them. And and that is the thing that they need to keep. You know, they need to they need to keep that element of doubt in an opposing player's mind that, that you know, he's turning up to Anfield and he's saying, yeah, our manager's saying do this, but what if they do that? Mm-hmm. And and that sort of variance in attack, that sort of variance in sort of competence across the pitch is what needs to be maintained. And, and I'm not so sure it is just a case of go out and buy X player. I think, I think, like I say, I think if they if they believe truly that Jones and Elliot are at the level, then I think they'll be happy with sort of the variance in options that they've got to do that. That's spot on. I think it's just diversifying the build-up play. Personally, I think that what Thiago does is you cannot man-mark him. I think that would be the the point there. Is if you put Enketia yeah. on him, then he's just so good and he's just more of a dribbler and more progressive player that it would break that first line of the pressing here, which is the whole goal, and then split you know, split it wide the second level, whatever, <laughs> and off we go. That would be like the almost like the simple fix. Plug him in. Plug him in. You cannot. You cannot man mark him. The other thing, like you're saying, is just add in more of the chaos agents. That's where navigators are so special. You just don't know what he's going to do with the ball. I yeah. think that's where Curtis is the is could be the next evolution. Is even if it's 20 minutes at a pop, 25 minutes. That I, I was so underrated him. I know we're going to come on and talk to him, uh, talk about him later because I so underrated him when he first came into the the team. But having seen just much more of him now, you know, at first I thought it was almost like a. Um, oh, it's a local lad breakthrough. It's very rare you get two lads in the same class who are actually that special. You know, you get maybe the Barcelona side, you have the United sides, but it's very rare you get two local lads that special. And usually one's very good, and the other one you kind of inflate a little bit. But I think there is something a little bit special. Yeah, he, oh, this, I mean, Gerard and Owen, maybe, but I mean, was Owen, yeah. I mean, Owen was local. He came through the academy, but he wasn't local. But even then, local. once in a generation, right? That's That's. But you could sort thing. of you could sort of localize them in the way they played. 
is what I, in terms of Gerard and Rooney, for example, you know, you, you could you could basically stamp their their postcode of their their birthplace on on the manner in which they play football. I think this is a hell of a shout, and and please, uh, you know, I'm not I'm not intentionally sort of dripping in hyperbole here, but if you drop Curtis into that Barcelona team ten years ago as a youth prospect. In the manner in which he plays football, you wouldn't bat an eyelid. Literally, he plays in a manner which is isn't akin to what we're used to. What, like you say, Ollie, in terms of local lab breaking through. There's no, in a good way. There's not that rawness to his, to his game. There's not that kind of street fighter element. That kind of, um, I don't know, rough and ready approach that for all the panache Gerard had. He had that. He had that to go with it, and that was undoubtedly a good thing. But I think technically, and I think once once he does improve tactically as well, Jones, I think, I think that the trajectory of him is is boundless. To be honest, we will talk about Jones in a bit. Um, my first takeaway about Curtis Jones is he, he's he's really really tall now. Um, <laughs> he's he's had his ready breath. Um, but more insights like that to come. Um, <laughs> just, just finally to wrap this up before we do talk about Jones. Um, from a personal perspective, what I'm looking for, I think, I think the reckoning of Roberto Firmino is coming. Um, I think he's a brilliant player. I think he's absolutely vital to what Liverpool are doing. But if we're talking about the next evolution, I don't know how much Roberto Firmino is involved in that because I think. At some point, Liverpool, if he doesn't have, a, if he has a similar season to the one of last season, we'll start looking at that and going, yes, our number nine does absolutely everything we want him to do on the ball, but is there someone out there who can do that and also get us an extra 10, 15 goals a season? This isn't me being negative about Firmino. I think he's absolutely fantastic. I, I'm not advocating Liverpool sell him or phase him out. I just think there's going to be a conversation in public, not from Klopp necessarily, but you know, in the media, amongst us, whoever, fans, it might even be starting already, where if he has a similar sort of season to the one last season, the question comes of what next? And, and I think those questions will probably happen internally because, again, something that we need to talk about soon, and I say we as in a football club, obviously not us personally, although I'm sure we will do, is the fact that Salah, Mane and Firmino are all coming down to two years on the contracts next summer. They're all 28, 29. By the time next summer comes along, they'll all be 29 years of age. Um, and the simple fact is, Liverpool haven't really been in this sort of situation before, not under FSG necessarily, not with the new way of doing things, where you've got three very, very talented players here whose longevity we're not quite sure, who are probably about to sign their last big deal what what's the going rate? What do they ask for? What do Liverpool give them? And I think this sort of folds into what we've seen with Wijnaldum because he's in a very similar situation and he's probably the barometer. And where does that fall in? I think we're looking at basically Van Dijk, Henderson, Salah, Mane, Firmino. There's five players who by the end of next season will be either touching 30 or over 30. You can throw Milner in there as well, but he's almost too far gone. There's five players there who are really important players, both in terms of the way they play and the dressing room. 
I think there's got to be a conversation as to how much money to, how what, what, does, what does their final contract at Liverpool look like and you know ultimately is there a situation where one of them might say well I probably get a better final contract somewhere else I think that's probably on a lower scale what perhaps what is happening with Wijnaldum a little bit at the moment I think it's probably why there's a little bit of I think this whole idea of well just Santiago he's only 30 million is 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 a bit naive because there's a hell of a lot more to think about because he will be yet another 29-year-old coming onto his last big contract. And Liverpool do the wage thing so well. And they've done it so well. Compared it to where it was at the very start of whenever she took over, where you had Milan Jovanovic on over 100 grand a week, which back at that point was a hell of a lot of money. I mean, it still is. But, you know, that was a, he was one of the top earners at the club. They've now got a structure and a and a and almost like a formula you know, you come in on, on this amount of money yep. and when you graduate to this level, you go on X amount of money. It's, Which is it's about to get reset. There's Van Dyke contracts coming down any day now and that, that's what, I think that's a large part of what they're waiting on. What is the final Van Dyke figure? That will reset the thing. Right now, Salah's the top earner. Van Dyke will be the top earner. Allison is making, what, it's like 80 grand a week or something. You're going to have to read, all the agents will be knocking on the door as soon as the Van Dyke deal is done. They know that sets the top level of Liverpool's wage bill. You've got Robertson's contract, Alexander-Arnold's contracts. Those lads are making, in football terms, nothing for their status in the game. So it's not just these guys obviously the, the top stars of the team and whose contracts are kind of winding down. Everyone gets a top up once the biggest earner gets his because it resets the structure of the team. And you have a lot of lads. The percentage increase of Robbo and Trent getting their bump up is way bigger than Salah going from 2 to 225 or whatever. So that's going to really be what shifts the wage budget is when the kind of the younger lads who are coming into into their peak get their top up. You know, Allison's going to go from 90 to close to 200, right? I mean, he's going to be paid as amongst the highest paid goalkeepers in the world. That's a massive jump as opposed, like I said, Firmino getting a top up. I do think just on the Firmino point quickly before I move on, I think they kind of played that conversation to themselves out in public already with Werner because I think if they were ready to move on, that was the guy that the money made some sense. Obviously, COVID threw everything into a, into a complete mess. I think they would have found some way somehow to really force that over the line if they felt like this was the evolution that needed to happen now. Um, you're right, maybe the conversation shifts over this year and a bit further down the line as things are more more steady and, and they have a better idea of the finance of the situation. But they had a chance to pull the trigger there on what would have been the evolution for two, three, four years in that position they wanted to and that they decided to to hold out for you know, a whole host of reasons. So we'll talk about evolution there as well. It's a bit of a strand throughout the, the podcast. Coming on to the final segments and you know, regular listeners or viewers of, of, of this podcast will know that we started doing things around polls and, and asking for your opinion on things and once we get the results in we'll talk about the results slightly and then set you another poll for next week um, and when you do answer that poll if you want to sort of sign up for our newsletter at the same time by all means do it, uh, we will be relaunching it soon, the first couple went down really well um, but the, the, the new newsletter will be getting launched again uh, very soon so basically last, well last week I say last week, uh, a couple of about 10 days ago we asked um, which youngster will receive most first team minutes at Liverpool next season. And to be honest, it was an overwhelming response for Curtis Jones. Rian Brewster got a handful of votes. Uh, Nico Williams, handful of votes. But Curtis Jones is, is, is by far and away the, uh, the winner of that poll. Does, does anybody see anything different happening here? 
other than say an in, an injury for for yeah. Trent, that is a season ender. You know, in, in, in with everything aligned, is anyone other than Curtis Jones getting more minutes than, than him? No, not for me. Um, he's the first team member now, isn't he? He's, yeah. he's yeah, yeah, he's a first team member, but he's also playing in a position that is arguably going to be rotated more than any. Um, and I think that he is sort of considered as one of six or seven players within that position who can who can come in and play a game every three. Is I think how the manager will be looking at it. Um, just quickly on the points before, sorry, I wrote something on this yesterday, which is interesting in terms of you know the very sort of loose links to to Mane um, with Barcelona for ninety million, and the point of the piece was sort of. There's going to be a point soon where 90 million for for one of the front three doesn't look appeasable, but is no longer feasible. And and the, the point of that is kind of Liverpool are at a, at a crossroads now with with all three of those players in terms of they either look to move one or two of them on in the next two years, or they accept that they're going to get old on their books and they're going to depreciate on their time. And when that comes to contracts and stuff, I think it's really interesting because I think I think a lot of what's playing out with Ronaldson at the minute is due to the fact that Liverpool still have Jordan Henderson and James Milner at the club. And I think there's, there's I think if there's a business head and a business sense around what Liverpool's squad is doing in terms of depreciation contracts and, and monetary value, I think the conversation will be well we can only have so many in that one position. And I'd be staggered if they let all three of the front three sort of get all together on Liverpool's time. And I wonder whether there's an argument or, a, or an eye on shifting one or two of them in the next two years and, and moving it round a little bit. And and just finally, on, on, the, on the contracts and structure, I would be, I would be, if I was sort of headhunting this at the club, looking to make Alexander Arnold, the highest paid player over the next three or four years. Because I think one thing you've seen from rivals is that if if you're if your sort of wage setter, as Ollie referenced to before, your sort of barometer for the highest paid player is the wrong player, then that causes a massive problems. You see it at Arsenal with Ozil, you've seen it now at United with, with De Gea. If that player is the wrong player, then I think there's there's a raft of issues that come from that. And I think it's worth investing in the right person who is setting that barometer as sort of, yeah, he is the highest paid player at the club, but this is the reason why, look what he's doing. And in terms of age and profile and sort of influence, like we've seen in the past few weeks, I'd be looking at Trent for that. But that doesn't answer who is the youngest player going to play next season. Well, um, the Trent. The answer for yeah, yeah. on on your point about Kurtz, I think it's a good one. I, I don't even think it's necessarily I have these seven lads because I think they will break it down in so much as who is that kind of like on the move creator, and it would be Ox, Kate, uh, and Jones. And I think it's it's actually going for one of three positions within that midfield structure mm. that he's going to want one of them. He's not going to want to roll unless it's against the top six away. A similar type. Structure. I don't think we'll ever see the same structure of Fabinho. Um, Wijnaldum and then you had the third spot I'm blanking right now yeah I, I don't think we'll see anything like that I think it, it is kind of that that one spot of who is someone who can do something a little bit different who's someone who surges forward and then the, the rest slot into their spots you know it's either Fabinho 
Henderson at the back and then on, on the right side to go back. I think, is, I think what Jones is as well, potentially, is a goal scorer. Um, a, a real midfielder goal scorer. He reminds me, and this is this is this is damning with faint praise, but he reminds me a bit of Tim Kale with feet at the moment, um, in the but, fact of how he finds space in the box. I mean, that was the problem with Kale. That that was his, that's all he could do. Chris Jones got a hell of a lot more to his game, I think, and will will become a much bigger player. But in terms of there was a couple of balls against Arsenal in the Community Shield, like a couple of the Robertson balls in the first half, and. It was the kind of thing, and this maybe goes back to the Firmino point, where Firmino's withdrawn slightly and Salah sort of got there a little bit too late on the back stick. I just feel like Jones gravitates towards those spaces and those areas, and I could almost envisage, envisage him getting on the end of one of those crosses. You know, I really do think that's what his role is at the moment. I think he plays, it was really interesting to see him as a number 10 against Arsenal. Um, I don't, because ultimately, you know, I think number 10s in, in their old mould are, are sort of dying off um, I think everyone sort of is expected to have a bit of a a bit of a number 10 in them but what the reason he was there is because he could basically get into that box he could sort of he, he could be a goal threat a tangible goal threat and you know with Liverpool are after one ultimately you know last season in the in the, in the Premier League after the, the, the front three Virgil van Dijk was Liverpool's top goal scorer with five Um so that's that's something that Liverpool probably needs to change. And that probably would change if actually Chamberlain or Kayser had more minutes. But at the same time, I think Jones is somebody who can come on for the last half an hour or even start for, for the first hour, get on the end of some of those balls and, and be a real threat. And and again, and, and this sounds ridiculous, he, he's massive now. He, he looks about six foot one, six foot two. He's 19 years of age. I don't know what he's been eating over the, over the, the break. Captain America serum. Yeah, exactly. He's been absolutely transformed. I think he's uh, just puffed his chest out a bit, you know. I think genuinely. he's wearing more layers because he was only away for three weeks. You know, I'm, not having, I'm not having this like aesthetic thing that he's put weight on or whatever. I, I genuinely think he's just, he sort of got his head up and puffed his chest out. And I think you've seen at 23 level, he was a player who liked to run games. And like to, to sort of have the game running at his tempo. And I think he's he took the, the back end of last season and the opportunity he's got. And he's probably just thought over the summer, I can do this in the Premier League. I can do this at this level. I've proved to myself I can. So I think this is just, I think there's genuinely a bit more of just push, puffing his chest out and, and owning, owning the football pitch a little bit more at this level. I think that's a much better fairy than mine that he's on some sort of Instagram pyramid scheme. <laughs> 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 pay, pay 50 quid a month. Uh, take, 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 take these juices and you know, uh, absolutely. Two weeks of Joe Wick. How about those uh, the other people on the poll? Who who would you want to see get the most minutes? If we consider Jones to be a, a legitimate first team member, who's kind of the developmental guy you'd like to see get the get the most run this season? I'd add Bruce now. I'd say Brewster, but I don't think he's going to be here, which no, is interesting. But, but I'd probably say Elliot, to be honest, because I think I think if we're not going to buy anyone, which it doesn't look like we are, you know, with Smiley, so I'm still getting linked, <clears throat> excuse me, but I wouldn't be surprised if that doesn't come off and he ends up at Everton. Um, if we're not going to sign anyone, then I think we need... I think we need... Elliot to kick on in terms of just having an option of Salah playing centre forward as well. As much as anything, I think I think there's going to be games where so Arsenal come to Anfield, 
towards the third game into the season, I think. And I wouldn't it wouldn't surprise me now at all if we play Salah through the middle. Yeah. Considering what they've done against us the last two games and the manner in which we've sort of struggled to break them down, it wouldn't surprise me if we just put Salah centre forward, play him really deep on the last line of their of their centre back and say we're just gonna put balls direct into him and we're gonna smother him so much with pe- people and bodies around him that you're not going to be able to get out. You're not going to be able to do any of the stuff that you've done over the last two games. And I think to do that, we've really got to have an option that isn't sort of shifting money right and playing Divock Origi left or taking a chance on Minamino right or left. And, and I think Elliot is sort of a player who can who can give us an option in that position with, with all his abilities and his attributes. He's raw, he's got pace, he's got tons of skill. And he can cut in on his left foot. And yeah, I, I'd be interested to see sort of what his development is this season because I think it's it's hard with him. You forget how young he is. But at the same time, because of the demands of this team, you're left wanting a little bit more. Yeah. So I'm, I'm intrigued by him constantly. I think so. that, that's the perfect summation. It, the, the pathway should be by January. That Shakiri, that old Shakira role was at 18 19. They played the 4 2 3, or he was on the right in the 4 2 3 1. By January, make that yours. That when we go to four two three one, that Shakiri role, it's something very achievable. You know, it's mm. it's defined. You got more freedom there because we can protect you in behind. Make that your own. I think is a, is a pretty reasonable goal to, to aim for. Thanks, gents. Um, I think we'll wrap it up there. That was the poll. We're doing that every week. Um, check our social media accounts. So at Liverpool.com underscore on Twitter. Type in Liverpool.com on Facebook. Uh, if you're watching this on YouTube, then it'll be in the description. And if you listen to it on however you do consume your podcasts, then it'll also be in, in, the, in the description there. Basically, every week we're asking you a question and, we, and we'll discuss what the results are. This week we're going to be talking about, well, this week we're asking, next week we'll be talking about Liverpool's first three games and how many points you can conceivably see Liverpool getting and how many points you think will be okay for Liverpool to get. So keep an eye on that. Um, and then we'll talk about that next week Dan will be writing a piece about that uh, this week on, on Liverpool.com so keep an eye out on that uh, and make sure you're voting in, in that poll but that'll do for this week so all that's left for me to say is if you are you know, listening to this on, on your podcast please keep on doing so give it a like give it a subscribe even give it a little review five stars is always better than none um, if you are listening to it on uh, well if you're watching it on YouTube as well uh, please uh, make sure you're telling your friends and, and giving it a good share. Uh, leave some nice comments at the bottom. Um, we've had some nice ones recently about Dan's hair, so you know, feel free to, to carry that on as well. Um, but in the meantime, yeah, thanks very much for joining us this week. Um, hope that you have a good week and we'll be back next week to really ramp up the return of Premier League football. Until then, take care. You've been listening to the Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo.